Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 150, The Revolutionary South. Last time out, we looked at the northern theatre of the War of American Independence, which gradually petered out as the French, then the Spanish, joined the war. I said that this week we'd look at the south, but before we do, I want to cover one last thing in the north. Benedict Arnold. We've covered Benedict Arnold, the American general, several times during the war so far. There was his role in the invasion of Canada, in defending Lake Champlain, but these are not the reasons that Benedict Arnold is one of the most well-known names of the American Revolution. While the French alliance benefited the American war effort, Arnold claimed that this caused him to doubt the American cause, preferring for the Americans to reunite with the British rather than having a close relationship with the French. At least, this was his excuse. There are other theories for Arnold's actions, including a feeling he hadn't been appreciated for his efforts. Arnold was made commander of West Point in the summer of 1780, and Arnold undertook efforts to betray it to the British. He planned to deliver plans of the fortification to the British, and he let the fort fall into a state of disrepair. On September the 25th, Washington was making his way through the Hudson Valley and decided to visit West Point. Hamilton was sent along with James McHenry ahead to prepare for Washington's arrival. While Hamilton, McHenry and Arnold were having breakfast, word arrived that a spy had been captured with information about West Point's defences. Arnold became flustered and went to say goodbye to his wife before fleeing, realising that his plot had been undone. When Washington and the rest of the officers arrived, they were quite confused by Arnold's absence, but ate food, and then prepared to visit West Point itself, while Hamilton stayed behind to deal with his papers, although he was distracted by Arnold's wife, Margaret, who was 20 years younger than her husband, and was screaming about people trying to murder her baby. Washington returned in the afternoon, and Hamilton gave Washington his papers, including information about the captured spy. Hamilton and Lafayette were talking when Washington read the dispatch, and realised that Arnold had turned traitor. Hamilton and McHenry were ordered to race down the Hudson to try and capture Arnold, but he had already crossed behind the safety of British lines. The Patriots tried to swap Arnold for the spy, John Andre, but the British refused. There was a discussion about whether Andre was a spy, Hamilton arguing that it was unfair, but it was decided in the end that he was, and Andre was hanged. Arnold was paid £6,000 for his treason and was commissioned as a general in the British Army. While this shocked the Patriots, and has become an infamous event in American history, it's worth noting that it had minimal effect on the American war effort itself. Speaking of which, we really should turn our attention to the South. When William Howe returned to England, he explained his belief that the British had lost the loyalty of the majority of Americans. What few loyalists there were were not loyal enough to hold a district for the British against the Patriots. His experience at Philadelphia had proved this point to him. However, Germain was not persuaded. This strategy would not work in Virginia or along the Delaware and certainly not in New England, but there was a hope it might work in the South. 
North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia did have a larger proportion of Tories than the other states. The Patriots had captured these states early on in the war, but the British thought that, with some effort, they could become Loyalist centres. As the war changed in 1778, following the entry of France into the fray, the British decided to make play for the South and launch an attack on Savannah, Georgia. Unlike most British plans in the war, it worked remarkably well, and Savannah was easily captured, convincing London that this was a strategy worth committing to. They thought they could easily push northwards into South Carolina, and might be able to convince the Cherokee and Cree to get more involved in the war. 3,500 soldiers were sent by Clinton under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Archibald Campbell, and a force of 2,000 marched north from St. Augustine in Florida under the command of General Augustine Prevost. The British swept through the state, capturing Augusta on January 29th, 1779. The Patriots were forced out of Georgia and wouldn't return there until the war's end, while the British re-established their government and prepared for the push into South Carolina. A new Patriot commander was given charge of the Southern Theatre, General Benjamin Lincoln, who had about 6,000 soldiers and pushed to the Savannah River, but he was defeated by the British. He then made a move against Augusta, but was once again forced back. The British were now ready for an attack, and Prevost marched north into South Carolina, reaching Charleston in May 1779, where he demanded the city surrender. Lincoln managed to save the city with a timely arrival, Prevost not daring to face the larger American force, instead moving back to Savannah. The French Admiral, Destain, who had been in the Caribbean, responded to Patriot requests for aid and travellers to Savannah, ignoring Washington's own request for him to travel to New York. After landing and being joined by some Continentals, he tried to take Savannah, but Prevost had established solid defensive lines. The French and Patriots started to bombard Savannah in October 1779, but they were unable to capture the city quickly. Against the wishes of Lincoln, Disdain moved back to the West Indies. Further encouraged by this, Clinton set sail from New York in late 1779 with 8,000 reinforcements for the Southern Theatre. The artillery sank and the horses died, but the men survived and reached Savannah in January 1780. He moved slowly northwards, calling for more reinforcements, when he discovered how entrenched the Patriots were in Charleston. After more reinforcements arrived in April, they moved to take the city. Lincoln struggled to gather defenders. There had been a smallpox outbreak in 1779, and Mary Carolinans avoided travelling there. Clinton demanded the Patriots surrender on April 10th, and it soon became apparent to the Patriots that defence was hopeless and their hopes of escape were dashed when the British blocked off the northern route. A large British assault was launched on May 9th, and Lincoln finally surrendered on May 12th. It was a significant blow to the Patriots, with 5,500 Americans captured, along with their supplies, and much of the South Carolina leadership. It was a correspondingly great victory for the British, with most of the colony soon falling under British control. Clinton, at this point, needed to return to the north, and he left the south in the control of Lord Cornwallis. 
His primary instruction for Cornwallis was to hold on to what had been won and not take any grand adventures, but he could advance if conditions were favourable. Cornwallis was permitted to correspond directly with Germain, but he would not become commander-in-chief. Cornwallis was highly energetic and aggressive, and this would help lead to British disaster. The Patriots were down, but were clearly not out. They started up a resistance against the British, sent soldiers from the north, and Congress quashed rumours that the other colonies would negotiate a peace with Britain on the basis of Georgia and South Carolina remaining British. It stated in June 1780, quote, This confederacy is most sacredly pledged to support the liberty and independence of every one of its members, end quote. Congress sent one of the northern generals to replace Lincoln. Horatio Gates. Gates moved to North Carolina, reaching Deep River, on July 25th. He was eager to lose the reputation for inaction he had gathered against General John Burgoyne, so he moved quickly before supplies could be gathered. His first objective was Camden in South Carolina, a rich area where the Patriots would be able to live off the land. The British commander of Camden learned that Gates was approaching and requested help from Cornwallis, who arrived without Gates's knowledge. On August 16th, the two armies bumped into each other, surprising both, and a battle broke out. The Patriots were routed, and Gates's reputation was severely damaged. Events at Charleston boosted the popularity of King George and the North Ministry, who took the opportunity to call a general election, which they won and then news of Camden boosted the reputation of Cornwallis, with many thinking that the British finally had a general who could take on Washington. It must be noted that the events in the South were not all good for the British. In addition to the Anglo-American conflict that we focused on during this series, the Patriots were also involved in fighting Native American forces along their western frontier. It became clear to the Patriots that the Native Americans needed British supplies to be able to hold them off. This was particularly true in the South. Therefore, the Patriots targeted Florida. They were unsuccessful, but as France and Spain joined the war, the situation changed, and the Spanish were able to make moves. They captured the British stronghold on the northern Gulf of Mexico, Pensacola, in West Florida, in May 1781. This was good news for the Patriots, at least until the Spanish started supporting Native Americans against the Americans, but that is a story for the future. We'll have a great deal more to say about the American push westwards as our story continues, but it's worth recapping exactly where we are. The narrative is presently in 1780. It felt that the war of American independence would be one of fatigue, and it would come down to the last man standing. There was a stalemate in the north, with the Patriots controlling New England and the area around the Delaware River, with the British controlling New York. In the south, the British controlled Georgia and South Carolina, while the Americans controlled North Carolina and the Chesapeake colonies. Unbeknownst to both sides, the war was now in its endgame. Two figures had emerged as the commanders on either side in North America. Washington for the Patriots, and Cornwallis for the Loyalists. Their showdown would determine the war, and it's there that we shall turn our attention next time. Yorktown. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then.